Hi everyone and welcome to Phil Fisher's tech and digital podcast where we tell you all you need to know about European and UK digital regulation. My name is Laura Burton and I will be your host. I'm a partner at European law firm Phil Fisher based in our Silicon Valley office. And I'm very happy today to welcome my colleague Megan Ward, who is a tech and privacy lawyer, also based in the Palo Alto office, and with whom I will discuss the European Commission's white paper on artificial intelligence. Hi, Megan. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. Thanks for joining me. So, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, One of the key political ambitions of the European Commission has been the creation of a Europe fit for the digital age and a single digital market. As part of this strategy, the European Commission has published various papers communicating its vision in relation to data, Internet of Things, safety and liability of AI, and now this white paper on artificial intelligence. So, Megan, can you tell us a bit more about this white paper and how it fits uh, within the EU approach to AI? Of course. So, the white paper, A European Approach to Excellence and Trust, was published in February this year by the Commission's Unit on Robotics and Artificial Intelligence. It follows in the footsteps of the High Level Expert Group's 2019 guidelines on ethics in AI. Now, these weren't binding, and the white paper is meant to build on the current guidelines, but importantly, go a step further towards actual regulation of AI. Although the paper itself is currently up for consultation, so not yet binding either. The paper has a dual purpose. So, firstly, it sets out policy options. This is the ecosystem of excellence. And secondly, It sets out key elements of a regulatory framework for AI systems, including mandatory requirements. And this is the ecosystem of trust. But the new AI plan is not only about regulation and policy, right? It also highlights significant European financial investment into artificial intelligence. Yes, that's correct. The the Commission objective is to attract over 20 billion euros of annual public and private investment in the EU in AI over the next decade. And these numbers show us that in addition to the regulatory angle, this is really a priority for the EU and that the EU, the Commission even, intends for Europe to be a key player in terms of AI development too. Of course, these initiatives fit in within the broader EU mission statement as the Commission recognises the societal and economic importance of AI aims to balance investment into research, development and education and the uptake of AI with ensuring transparency, fairness and safety. As you know, this is a theme that is central to all the Commission's policies, that technology should improve people's lives and not just be an economic tool. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it's been a recurrent theme in the European Union's policies in general, that it is they're not just meant to um, enhance the economy or um, regulate uh, technology, but really as a tool to improve people's lives, which is quite a particular um, vision, I guess, compared to other countries. So the white paper sets out a regulatory framework for the EU, but how would that impact non-EU-based AI players and developers? Is this something that they too should pay attention to? <laughs> Yes, definitely. 
The framework will apply to all operators providing AI-enabled products or services in the EU, regardless of whether or not the operator is established in the EU. So think GDPR, same principles of extraterritoriality and protection of EU citizens. One of the aims is to protect EU citizens and therefore ensure that any technology available to them or that they're subject to meets the minimum requirements. Of course, this is not new. It, it reproduces product safety rules around the world. There are a number of players in the AI ecosystem. As you mentioned, think developers, deployers, operators. These are likely to be based in different places around the globe. And the commission envisions that each obligation should be addressed by the actor who is best placed to address the actual risk. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, this makes assigning responsibility and liability tricky. And the white paper has an accompanying report on safety and liability implications of AI. And it's probably a topic of a separate podcast. But in short, the commission concludes that a new legislation specifically on AI liability may be needed to fit with current and future technological developments. And we will need further guidance on how this interacts with the existing liability regime. The white paper says it will not necessarily follow that who is best placed will be liable for failure to comply or when things go wrong. And players in the AI ecosystem are already subject to existing product liability rules. So under the EU product liability directive, manufacturer is liable for damage caused by a defective, pro defective product. However, the difficulty with applying this to AI is how to trace back the potentially problematic decision and who will be responsible for that. Indeed. So the next question has to be about which AI systems fall within the scope of this proposed European framework. As all AI is not created equal, and some of it ranges from entertainment uh, to, you know, potentially privacy invading or life saving um, algorithms. And supposedly this should be subject to different rules. So how does the European Union suggest we deal with this challenge? You're right, the Commission acknowledges the difference and the proposed framework is risk-based. So an AI application would be considered high risk if two cumulative criteria are met. Firstly, the application is used in a sector where significant risks can be expected to occur. So these sectors would be listed exhaustively in any future legislation. And the white paper proposes that these would be healthcare, transport, energy, and then certain parts of the public sector, such as social security and employment services. Secondly, the application is used in a manner that significant risks are likely to arise. For example, legal or significantly similar effects on the rights of individuals or entities, risk of death, injury, or significant material or immaterial damage or effects that can reasonably be avoided. And it's important that these two criteria are cumulative. So you mentioned healthcare, transport, so autonomous vehicles, right? Employment services, these are the key, um, I was going to say, recipients or um, in-scope businesses for this regulation. Yes, amongst others, but not all AI systems in the healthcare sector will be used in a manner in which significant risks could arise. So actually the example in the white paper is, although healthcare sector is a high risk sector, think about the automated appointment scheduling system. It's healthcare, but its failure is unlikely to cause a significant damage to individuals. 
So sector and use criteria must both be high risk to fall into the scope. There's also actually an exceptional category, which is called high risk as such applications, including AI in the recruitment context, biometric identification and other intrusive technologies. And this would actually include facial recognition technology, which has been on the news frequently over the past few months. Yes, definitely. Um, and we all know that China has been using uh, facial recognition extensively, um, whilst, you know, in other countries and the EU, for example, have flagged the risks in relation to human rights and, and privacy. But maybe fewer people know that in the US, uh, facial recognition is going forward without restriction and is supposed to be deployed at the top 20 US airports by 2021 for 100% of international passengers. And that, of course, includes American citizens. And I also read uh, recently in a Vox Media article that was published a few months ago that in several states, uh, including Texas, Florida, Illinois, the FBI, FBI is allowed to use facial recognition technology to scan through the DMV database of drivers' licensed photos. And in cities such as Baltimore, uh, police have used facial recognition software to identify and arrest individuals at protests. So that was actually, I, I didn't know. So I live, I live in the US uh, and I, I didn't know that. So it's very interesting. If you are interested in following that kind of thing, um, you can check out a website, which is uh, www.banfacialrecognition.com forward slash map. And it's an interactive map that shows in the US where facial recognition surveillance is happening, where it's going next, and where the local and state efforts have been made to rein it in. That is interesting. Anyway, I've never heard of that either, actually. I know. It's, I, I saw it and I was so surprised. I was like, hmm, okay, you always learn something. Um, so, and the, the site is really interesting. I really didn't have a clue that it was so predominant. So back to our European framework, um, what are the mandatory requirements that would apply to these high-risk uh, applications? So firstly, AI systems must be trained on data sets that are sufficiently broad and representative to cover all scenarios that the AI is likely to encounter in order to avoid dangerous situations and to take reasonable measures to ensure the use of the AI does not lead to prohibited discrimination. Secondly, individuals must be provided with concise and easy to understand information about the use of AI, the purpose for which it will be used, and the level of accuracy. One other point to mention here is that citizens must be clearly informed when they're acting with AI, sorry, when they're interacting with AI even, and not a human being. Yeah, that makes sense. And I don't know if you remember this article that we read about this online dating platform that used AI to generate responses in order to lure um, more people to join the social uh, social dating website. So uh, interesting use of AI, definitely passed the Turing test definition as people thought it was a human being, but uh, not to be done. Yeah, it's interesting to think how closely um, can replicate kind of human interactions. Yeah, and that used to be one of the, um, that was used to be the Turing test as the, you know, uh, the level to which you determine it is artificial intelligence. 
if a human could not distinguish whether it was a machine or a person. So obviously they have taken it to quite a good level from a technology perspective. Definitely. So back to our criteria, I think we're on number three. So much like the GDPR, there are record keeping requirements for training data, programming of the algorithms and data retention. At number four, human review might be required for oversight of the output. So the stage at which humans might intervene will depend on the use of the system and the effect it might have for individuals or entities. For example, a stop button in a driverless car when a human determines that the car is not operating safely. Next, AI systems must be robust in that they're trained reliably and they're accurate. And finally, there'll be some specific requirements for biometric identification and the facial recognition technology we were talking about earlier. That's a pretty good list. So let's recap it because it's so essential um, to this whole white paper. So one, training data, make sure that it's accurate and non-biased. Two, provision of information. Tell people they are dealing with AI and tell them what AI can do and cannot do. Three, record keeping, goes back to the accountability principle. Four, um, human oversight have humans spot check the ai's performance five robustness and accuracy make sure that you know it cannot be hacked and if there are any uh, biometric uh, elements make sure that uh, you fulfill the particular rec the particular requirements yeah is that right did i okay so one of the key issues will of course be to see how these um requirements can be practically monitored and enforced. So if you take the decision-making uh, example, it's very difficult to explain how an AI decision is made and, and therefore it's very difficult to explain how it's working, going back to the you know accountability and, and privacy obligation. But if we go back to, to the paper, white paper, so what about the low-risk AI? Is that not caught at all by the proposed framework? Do not fear. It is covered, but with lighter requirements. So the Commission proposes a voluntary labelling system for low-risk systems where operators can choose to comply with the requirements. The aim here is that an industry benchmark could be set and a symbol of trust. However, once the operator chooses to comply, the requirements would then be binding. Of course, low-risk AI applications must still comply with existing EU rules, including the GDPR, consumer protection and unfair commercial practices. By the way, I hope it goes without saying, but existing regulations continue to apply to high-risk applications too, uh, the GDPR being one of the key challenges for AI. And actually, Yeah, and I think we didn't, uh, just to, to clarify to everyone, we didn't focus on the GDPR because um, the whole point of this podcast is to go beyond the privacy angle which has been discussed at length in in lots of other publications so we really want to see beyond the privacy what is left in terms of regulating ai yeah and actually when you look at the AI requirements you will recognize many of the same principles carried throughout all eu digital regulations such as transparency accountability strong internal processes and policies leading to the product's compliance by design rather than an afterthought or a tick box exercise, say. Yes, definitely. So what about enforcement? What will be the penalty for breach of these future regulation and rules on artificial intelligence? 
Good question. So far, it seems that a combined approach is envisaged. So one, a prior conformity assessment, which would include testing, inspection, certification of the algorithms, but also the data sets used during development. And in terms of governance, it's suggested that member states appoint a national body to monitor application and enforcement of the framework. Maybe something similar to local data protection regulators. Okay, that makes sense. So what's next now? When can we expect to hear more and maybe have binding legislation? So as we've mentioned at the beginning, the framework does not set out binding regulation at this stage. It's still open for consultation until June 2020. I think it's the 14th of June. Um, and the EU is expected to start drafting legislation based on these proposals and the consultation feedback at the end of this year. Okay, so with the consultation over until mid-June, if any of you listeners want to share your thoughts, this is your time. So Megan, thank you so much for taking us through the key points of this white paper. Thanks for having me, Laura. Pleasure. So our key takeaways, um, I think, for this paper will be, one, uh, differentiation between the different types of AI. Two, that AI uh, will be considered high risk if it's not only in a high risk sector, but also in a high risk use criteria. So again, it has to be the combination of both. Then we have the uh, type of uh, requirements that will be training data, information provision, record keeping, human oversight, robustness and accuracy, and of course, the special category for biometrics and facial recognition. But not forget, low-risk AI will still have requirements, uh, but more in a type of quality label um, compliance system. I think that's it. So stay tuned for the responses to the consultation and the European Commission's next move. Oh, and finally, um, also do watch out what the UK will do next, because by the time the EU regulation on AI will be in place um, the UK will have certainly brexited completely and so we may start to see a divergence on it actually according to the current government uh, there will definitely definitely be a divergence on this and um, as you all know I do not welcome this divergence but um, it seems to be the political agenda at the moment so that's it for today uh, thank you everyone for listening we hope you've enjoyed this podcast and if you have, please do subscribe. Have a lovely day.